and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. On this podcast, we speak to people who've had such an important role to play in Penrith's history. They are Penrith stories told by Penrith people. And today, my guest on the show is Councillor Kevin Cramery, the longest serving councillor on Penrith Council and someone who is extremely passionate about Penrith, particularly our rural areas. Uh, Councillor Cramery, thanks for joining us. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, um, the question we always ask at the top, uh, when and where were you born and where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Strathfield. My parents were living uh, with my father's mother. Then they moved to Badgerish Creek until I was about 18 months old. Then to Brinjelly until I was about six years old. And then in 1952, we moved to Landilo. Wow, so 1952, right. So you, you've been here through, uh, through it all, really, in, uh, in Penrith. What was growing up and what was Penrith like in the, in the 50s and 60s? Well, there was horse troughs in the main street of Penrith. Um, there was a blacksmith behind Memory Park. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of picture theatres. I used to bring my horse into that blacksmith behind Memory Park to get shod. Um, so it was vastly different to what it is now. If you went down the street, you knew everybody mm. and everybody knew you. And um, it was uh, the greatest town in the world at that stage. It's still pretty bloody good, but uh, it was the greatest one then. So if you were walking down High Street in, in the early 60s, what could you expect from, from Penrith? What was, what, was it, uh, what was it like compared to, say, what we see today? Well, it was the town. It was what the plaza is now. You had Norman Ross and Harvey um, and all of those things in the main street. And it was a bustling town. You had butcher shops everywhere. Uh, everything was in the main town. And I thought it was great then because you could park on either side of the street like St Mary's is now. Mm. But you had all your main businesses there. It's long before uh, Westfield and those kind of operations. Yeah, when the plaza came, it killed High Street. Mm. And then they put in the mall, and that was going to be the be-all and end-all. And it made it even worse, and we only had the $2 shops. Then they took the mall out and opened it up again, but it has never come back, and it can't come back because of the plaza. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Landilo, you say you've been there since 1952. You're there, you're there now. Um, yes. You've, you're obviously very passionate about that area. Did you? Was there ever a time where you wanted to move, or, or did you just say, no, this is it for me, this is where I want to be? No, my parents uh, had um, 28 and a half acres, and I was selling a couple of five acres off. My cousin was going to buy it, and he pulled out, so I said, well, I'll buy it. And I bought my five acres for $5,000, which is a little bit different to what the price is now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I love it because you've got the creek down there. In those days, you could go down the creek, go swimming, go fishing. Um, it was a nice, quiet area. We get a lot of rat runners now, but... Um, no, it was a great area, another than three months in Mount Isa when I went up there and three months in Moree. I've been in Landilo all my life and I don't really wish to move. Now, some 50 years ago, you um, you fight your first fire um, and this becomes a, a pretty important part of your life because you 
um, you, you become a big member of the Landilo Rural Fire Brigade and um, and it becomes a, a significant role in your story. So tell us about that first fire and how you became interested in, in, that, uh, in that sector and helping people. Well, my father was the captain of the brigade at the time, but he used to work at Strathfield so he could only fight fires on weekends. And it wasn't 50 years ago, it was um, a lot longer than that. I was 11, 10 or 11. Okay. And we didn't have fire trucks, we didn't have um, phones. If you saw smoke, you just went. And I was never a small boy, so I hopped on the push bike and went. And um, the neighbours, Betty and Clive, and a few others were there, and I just grabbed a bush and we beat the fire out along the edges, and that was on um, the air services near Vincent Road in Cranebrook. And that was how you put fires out in those days. You just got along the edge of it and beat it out. And Mum and Dad uh, come home about 7 o'clock at night and came looking for me, and I beat them home on my push bike. <laughs> and, and so obviously then you, you, you stay involved and um, you know become the a key member of that brigade, um, pretty yeah. passionate about that? Yeah, I became uh, the assistant equipment officer at age 13. The records don't take it until you were 16. Mm. So now I've got um, 60 years of firefighting and uh, I have been um, deputy captain, I've been uh, senior deputy captain, I was secretary treasurer for thirty odd years, um, but out there, you—if something happened, you went and helped everybody, and that's the way Land Isle was. Still, pretty much the same. And if you saw a fire, you just went. And I've been in it. I've been to fires down to Gerildery, uh, Bendemere on the south coast. I've been up to just recently to the Glen Innes fires. I've uh, been to every fire in the Blue Mountains since 1968 and fires up on the top of Colo. And at one stage, um, I, at one of the mountains fires, the commissioner, who I knew quite well, Phil Koperberg, put me in charge of the four Penrith Bedfords and we were the strike force to go wherever the fire broke out. Any particular fire that stands out in your mind if you if you had to pick one that was had most impact on you well there's two that we can look at the fires out um, the christmas fires out at mogul Malaysia. Uh, i had been out uh, on the afternoon night shift and because we hadn't done anything that night i stayed on for the the day shift as well and it's the only fire where I've been distressed because it was just chaotic. We didn't know where the fires were and we were t- going along and I said to the driver, slow down, there's smoke ahead of us, we won't be able to see. And the next thing, uh, Integral Energy and a couple of other trucks went flying past us straight into the smoke. And I went home that afternoon and almost cried. I thought, we're going to lose people in this fire. And... Um, it was just chaotic because where you think it's all out, then suddenly it had come up out of the valley again. Mm. Um, I wanted to burn a triangle out in the middle of one of the big properties out there and somebody said, no, you can't do that. And the next thing it came up 
along the fence line where there was just a, a trickle of grass and it burned out the uh, shed and the garage. Yeah, so that was the worst fire. and But the best fire was back in the old days driving one of the old blitzers and I'm, nobody else turned up to the shed so I was going out alone. And there's this lady waving like mad. So I pulled up because I thought she must have known where the fire was. And she said, no, I was just waving to you. <laughs> and I said, you know, would you like to come and help? And there's this voluptuous lady in a cotton dress. And she's inside the bedford, sticking her head out through the roof with a hose while I drove <laughs> around. And she got horribly soaking wet. And it was a little bit of a distressing sight that she had the best day of her life that day. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, what about work-wise for you? And uh, so I know you, you followed a couple of different trades um, back then. Uh, what, 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 was, um, what path did you take there? I started out at Singer Sewing Machines as a fitter and machinist. And I did two and a half years of my apprenticeship there. Then I went to ACI Plastics at Windsor and did the other two and a half because Singer's was closing down. I then went to Mount Isa for three months came back here and went out to work in different places throughout the industry. But I I've qualified as a fitter machinist and a tool maker. Since then, I've also become a rigger and um, dogman. Um, and worked in or uh, up to Shell Refinery, and I was an expert on relief valves there for uh, 16 of the 22 and a half years. And now I'm semi-retired and I do one day a week at uh, a school at Wallachia as their GA, mowing lawns, fixing things. Sometimes other schools call me and I might be doing five days a week, but basically it's one day a week. And where does family fit in here? Uh, Wife, kids, when did you uh, meet your wife? Um, I met my wife, she was the sister of a friend sort of thing. Um, she came from Windsor and we got married and um, lived at Landilo and then I built my own house on my five-acre block and uh, we have four children, a daughter, then four son, uh, three sons. Um, my daughter is now qualified as a teacher. She was a teacher's aide. Um, my first son followed me into the metal industry uh, but he's now a crane driver uh, one of my other sons is a computer expert who looks after a lot of companies computers and the last son is now the spare parts manager for Australia for a large business and uh, so they're all doing well um, but back in 1974 uh, a month or two before I got married, there was a knock on the door. And this fellow, we were there having tea. This fellow came in and he's talking about the roads and everything else. And I'm saying, yes, yes, trying to get rid of him. Yeah. Anyway, he left and he came back about a fortnight later, knocked on the door. I said, yeah. He says, time to sign the papers. And I said, what papers? He said, you said you'd become a councillor. <laughs> you'd stand for council. Oh, and uh, my father always said a man's word is his bargain, so 
He then said, have you got some other people that can stand? So we, I went out to see Jeff Saunders, who was a family friend, and he was a Crown Sergeant who had just retired from the police force. And Jeff was a little bit under the weather at the time, but said, yeah, I'll stand. And then he signed the papers. He went off on a cruise and came back on the day of the election in time to vote for himself. <laughs> and... Um, um, Ron Mulock come out of the um, booth at uh, Cambridge Park and I said, how's it going, Ron? And he said, well, unless I miss my guess, we've got a new council. And uh, we did, because at that stage, Labor and Allsop had had a bit of an argument. Labor wanted to get rid of um, Allsop's wife. He said, if she can't stand, then I can't stand. So the Labor Party had a split, and unbeknownst to us, and then... Therefore, we were getting the preferences from both Labor and from Allsop. And this was the first time that the Liberal Party had actually stood people as Liberals. And they had to be independents, and the word Liberal, independent had to be twice as big as the word Liberal. And it was an experiment they did. Anyway, I was in Sydney with my uh, fiancé the next day. And they tracked me down in Sydney and found out, and I found out then that Jeff had been elected. And by the time I got back to Penrith, I would be elected. And we could have the whole team in, which we didn't really want. And uh, that's how I got involved in council. But they had headhunted me because I was in the fire brigade, I was in the PNC, um, and everything else around. And I was in the outer areas, so... Um, Basically, I was what they wanted. And by the time the next uh, council election will be on, it'll be, it'll be 50 years in, uh, in local government for you, um, did you think at that time, well, this is something I'm going to be doing for 50-odd for years? I know there was a, a break in there as well, but was politics something that you'd thought about before then at all? Was, was that no, sort of, was I had, passion there at all? I had no intentions whatsoever. I'd never been into the council chambers, never been involved in any council matters. Um, but I spent the, the first three years, but the Liberal Party weren't backing me on the things that I wanted to do for the rural areas. So in 77, I stood on my own. And I got more votes than the Liberal Party, but the Labor Party put the Liberal Party in with preferences. And I tried again up until 87, and 87 they couldn't stop me. I just went straight back in again. But I, I was trying to get roads done. I was trying to get... It had now been into my blood, and I just wanted to keep going. And, um, yeah, so 50 years will be to the day, basically, when this term ends. And um, I've achieved a lot of things over those period of time. You, when as a councillor again, you know, through through the eighties, nineties, you develop a a really fierce reputation for being fiercely independent, but also for those rural areas. Um, obviously, you live out there in Landilo; that is part of the reason. But do you feel, or, or did you feel, that there was too much neglect out there, too much focus on Penrith and St Marys and whatnot, and, and not enough in the rural areas? Is that where that that real fierceness came from to make sure you stand up for those areas because it is easy to forget um, the you know day to day um, those areas are part of our LGA. Yes, because out there we had dirt roads, uh, we had flooding problems, 
Um, Penrith had a garbage service. We had to pay for it, but we didn't get garbage services. So when I got back in in 87, we then made it that um, eventually the, the rural areas got garbage service as well. Um, at the moment, we're paying around $6,000 in rates. People in town pay about $1,100. So there has been a disparity and basically the rural areas haven't had, and people out there will still tell you, yeah, we have potholes, we have drainage problems. Um, so somebody needs to be there to bring forward the views of the people from the outer areas. Now, you're, you're on council throughout the 1990s, and uh, in fact you become mayor in, in, um, in 1996 as well. Pretty important era in Penrith in the 90s, a significant amount of growth. Would you say that the 90s is where Penrith kind of changed forever in terms of its growth, in terms of population and maybe losing a little bit of that country town feel? Yes, well, there was a, a lot of interest, you know, like with the plaza coming, um, Penrith was a growing area, a uh, very vibrant area you know, with the gateway to the mountains. We're a regional council, basically, but we don't rec- get recognised for that. So the Hawkesbury, um, Wallandilly, those people still come into Penrith because we are the centre. Mm. Um, and we have just kept going since then. Who would have thought you would have 10, 15 and 20 storey buildings in Penrith? And that is now the norm. The biggest problem we have at the moment is because of the um, Hawkesbury floodplain management that the government's got, they're saying you can't have any um, substantial below the PMF. Now, for people who don't know much about flooding, a one in a hundred in the Hawkesbury and the Pean River comes up to Mulgoyle Road. Mm. 1867, the flood came up to Memory Park. Memory Park had half a metre of water in it. We've had one or two that have come up uh, to nearly to Station Street in that period of time. But if we get a big flood, it's not so much getting people out of Penrith. It's all the other areas that have got to come through Penrith, which will stop Penrith Mm -hmm. people getting out. So the state government put a kibosh on us and very few uh, things can go ahead at the moment um, because of the flooding. Um, even though you know, the PMF, we may never see it, but we can see it. We know that 1867 happened. Mm. We know that can happen again. If that comes again, there will be thousands of lives lost. 1867, I think they lost around about 20 lives. A um, lot, lot, lot more population now, though, of course. Yes, and try and get the people out along single-lane roads. Mm. You know, if one car breaks down, you've trapped everybody behind them. So we have got a lot of constraints at the moment, but from the 90s onwards, yes, Penrith blossomed. Well, we saw the expansion, I guess, of Penrith as well. So from... From, yeah, the rural areas and the main streets, yes, but Glenmore Park obviously explodes. Um, you know, you, you Cranebrook. Start, Cranebrook, you start to see a lot more residences. So I guess as a council, um, things change as well because you've suddenly got a lot a lot more people and a lot more issues to deal with. Yes, well, we had Warrington was really the start of it. You had Warrington, Warrington County, um, Cranebrook, 
and then I went out to Glenmore Park and then came back to Cranebrook for the other areas. So where before we only had to look after things basically in a very concentrated area, mm. we've now got hundreds and thousands of people sort of thing uh, spread out and it's a lot harder for the council to manage things because it is a huge area with a huge population. Of course, the other thing that happens in the late 1990s as your um, as your mayor is the preparations for the Olympics um, and, and an important role that Penrith played, of course, and you played a pretty key role in, in Penrith Whitewater Stadium. Yes, um, I was in there the basically in the lead-up to it and at this one stage we were vying for the uh, velodrome but the state government really knew where they were putting it. They were putting it out at Bankstown, but mm. they just wanted us to all tender for it so that they would get more for their more uh, bang for their bucks. In the meantime, I'd had a phone call from Mr Fox, and he wanted to push for the Whitewater Stadium. So even though I could not mention it, Penrith Council was proactively working to get the Whitewater Stadium. And um, they wanted me to actually go over to France and look at um, a, a place over there. The councillor Fowler was overseas on another thing, so we sent him there. And um, combining all of that, we came up with a process to build it at no cost to the state government, basically. And uh, I ended up getting a telegram from the lovely fellow who was head of the ICOC and saying, bloody beauty, mate, we've got it. And we had the Whitewater Stadium, so we built that and uh, it's there now and it's something that's not replicated really anywhere else in the world. And, of course, has uh, been a big part in creating an Olympic champion and uh, and plenty of other successes as well. So yeah, so a- his daughter Jessica is now the world champion, gold medalist and everything else. Absolutely. Now, what happens at the end of 1999 and, and the election around then? Because um, there's a gap in the resume for you as far as local government's concerned. Well, I had um, just left Shell and my future was a little bit undecided. So I decided I would run number two to John Bateman. Mm-hmm. John was mayor. I had been mayor previous and I thought it was okay, but I just could not afford or run an election in that year, so I ran number two to him. Got him in easily, but there wasn't quite enough votes for me to get in. So um, I was out from uh, 99 till the next election in 2004. I stood on my own again and was subsequently easily elected and have been ever since. And... I mentioned earlier about the independent side of it, and that's been really strong for you. How important is that, given that no matter what we want or don't want or whatever, party politics always plays a role um, at any level of government? Um, you've obviously watched the Labor and Liberal Party and, and their influence on council, but the independents have on many councils, many Penrith councils, held the power because you know, you've know got a couple in there that, that can sway things. So how important has that independence been for you, and what what kind of party dramas have you seen um, over the years? Well, I've seen many people within the parties who would love to see say things and, and vote opposite, but 
you can see them sit there and squirm and have to toe the party line. Um, yes, it has been a, a, a leverage point um, that the independents did have the power and that's possibly while I was mayor. Um, but I don't believe anybody should tell me how to vote for things in Penrith. I'm representing the people. Hmm. I'm not representing a party and I will vote for whatever I believe is the correct thing for the people of Penrith. And um, even though they say, oh, it's not in binding, we have caucuses, we have this, but you can see that it is binding. If they want to get pre-selected again, they have to toe the party line. I don't have to. As long as my family lets me run, I run. It's interesting you say that because I think we've run about three Kevin Cramery's going to retire uh, stories <laughs> leading into uh, into elections, and yet we get to the uh, the ballot box and there's your name. So is it just something that's in your blood, you can't get rid of it, or uh, is it that there's just issues that you feel aren't going to be addressed if, um, if you're not there, particularly a rural-based councillor isn't there? Well, at the last election, it was definitely going to be the last one. My wife had said the last two were the last ones. <laughs> but... There were certain things which I had been trying to get sorted out that um, had a huge effect on people's lives, individual people's, and I just could not not stand and walk away and leave these people in the situation they were in. So at the the very last minute, and it was the very last minute, I, I decided I would stand. But I just could not walk away and leave those families in the situation that they were in and the way they were being treated. Interesting you say that because when you look at your um, resume and different achievements, a lot of them would be considered to many people minor things in the big scheme of things, a closure of a street and a Pean Street. Remember, they were going to close that and you, you were really um, adamant about that and um, issues out at uh, Borrowdale Road and uh, Vincent Road at Cranebrook and all these things. They matter so much, though, to the to the people that are affected by it, and they need someone to stand up for them. Um, and that's sort of what you you prided yourself on, I guess, in council. Yes. Um, okay, we're going to have a similar situation on Dunhevard Road, where for the benefit of the people, they're going, you're going to have to do loops to get out mm. of their homes. But when you're out in Castle Ray or Cranebrook or something like that, and they want to close the street. It might mean you had to do another five or six kilometres in a detour to get out of your home. And um, I, I just felt that that was over the odds and I had to support those people. Um, yeah, but I think one of my greatest achievements was uh, in about 2000 that I moved that we do a tarred road up to the driveway of everybody in Penrith. And Faye Lopo backed me up on that one, my friend Faye, uh, friend Faye. And we got a policy, and now there is only one or two homes, one up the top of Mulgoa and one that was in a, a little tiny back street in Warrington that don't have a tarred road up to their driveway. And that was a very big turning point for the people in the outer areas. Absolutely. 
What about other councillors? You've seen plenty come and go. Um, you've seen some long-serving... Obviously, you're on council with some long-serving councillors, the likes of Ross Fowler and, and Jim Aiken, John Thane. Um, but also, you see brand-new people come in. Is it good to have that mix? Do you, do you look... And when you see a, a councillor come on who might be in their early 20s, you know, is part of you like, well... You don't know much about the history of, uh, of Penrith and what you've been through, but also it's really important to have that youth voice as well. Well, with the independence, like we've just got Sue Day on, hmm. uh, for the last 10 years or so she has been working her butt off to get on and she has got on. She has got dedication and she will be a great asset for Penrith. Um, Labor um, has some new ones on there. Some of their older ones have retired, like Greg Davies, um, who has been quite good for Penrith over the years. Mm -hmm. I I respect Greg. Um, So we need replacement. And looking at um, the new ones like Jonathan, um, he seems to have a a vast knowledge of a lot of things, so he will give a broad spectrum to it. Um, Marlene Shipley has been uh, a huge part of St Mary's and the clubs in St Mary's and I think she knows a lot of people and I think that she will be an asset. Um, so you need to get rid of some of the older ones who um, might have become stale. A lot of people say that about me but I, I don't think I'm quite stale yet. But this, I'll say it again, this should be my last time <laughs> at my council. Should be, so not guaranteed. You, you may well go again. No, I, I don't <laughs> think so. You know, I'm probably getting to the stage now where my memory might, might start failing me, my eyes start failing me, and then I would be um, a loss to council. But, uh, yes, we do need to have new people coming in with new ideas, but you also need experience. What about tough times? Were there, were, there, were there particularly difficult times for you during your tenure that you look back on and, and go, well, there's some you know, regret there or it was a tough time, it was a, a difficult time? Um, yeah, well, I suppose between 77 and 87 where I tried so hard and I was the last one to be not elected, mm. um, that did have a a bit of a downer on because I had issues that needed to be fixed. Um, There's a couple of times where things have been brought against me which were not very nice, but um, I have survived those through the help of my family. Mm. Um, So I don't really regret too much from the time on council. Yeah, you, you mentioned one of those, and one of those was more than a decade ago now, and there was a suspension there, and there was you were cleared of everything, of course, but difficult times to, to be reading about yourself in the Metro papers and, and everything like that. I mean, it must be a, it must take its toll, given that for you, you're, you're here as a councillor for Penrith. Uh, it was probably harder for your, my younger children who were at school. Um, yeah, the, they started out with... Uh, two charges which went to 32 charges which they supposedly found me guilty of 20 of them two of them were exactly the same one I was found guilty of one I wasn't but when they sent it off to the state government they found me guilty of only one item and that was I touched the lady on the neck with my cold fingers without her permission and that was such a terrible thing um, 
I got suspended for a month. And that was when I was mayor in 2010. And um, basically it was a set-up by a certain person outside of council through a person on council. And, um, you know, when the state government looked at it all, the Office of Local Government, they could not prove anything wrong. I had a solicitor who prepared a 66-page um, report on it. Not one person from council, the officers or otherwise, looked at it. Um, that was disappointing. It cost me a lot of money. It cost me around about $13,000 to prove that I was innocent. And, uh, yeah, that was a, a dark period, but it was harder for my family than it was for me. I knew where I stood. Mm. What about moving forward now? Where do you see where Penrith sits? If you if you think about Penrith as a city, you know, as being a council, I'm sure you hear it often, there are people who have been around this city a long time who don't like where it's heading. They feel it's it's overdeveloped, that it's not what it used to be now. There's probably two schools of thought there about progress and about wanting to preserve the past, but where where do you think Penrith sits? Well, we've got a big problem with um, roads because you have the uh, Brinjelli Road, Northern Road, is a north-south road. You can get through um, North Penrith and you've got Castle Ray Road. So really we have a problem with congestion because you've got the airport going ahead. Um, That is going to bring a lot of traffic. A lot of it will go east-west to the airport, but we're still going to have it coming in from our area, north-south. So the congestion of the roads is a big problem. The Olympics helped us out a lot because they did the northern road up. Mm. They're in the process of widening a bit more on that and uh, they're doing Mulgoal Road, so that will help a bit. Mulgoal Road will come to Mulgoa and then, or before Mulgoa, you'll still be single road, but it will help people get around Penrith. Um, parking is a problem when you come into town. It's all right at the moment because of COVID, mm. but... Um, we're not like the rest of Sydney where you've got bus services everywhere. If you want to go into town, you can jump on a bus. You can't do that in Penrith. Mm. So we have to drive our car in from Landilo, London, Derry, etc. if you want to get something other than from the local shop. Um, to do your main shopping, you've got to come in. And if it wasn't for the plazas having its own parking, we would be ruined. But you know, usually Allen Place, you you can't get a spot in there. You drive round and round, you can't get it. So parking is a big problem and congestion. But with the airport, the flight paths are going to be a big problem. Mm. You've got Camden Airport, you've got Bankstown Airport, you've got Richmond Airport. There is only one path for them, and that is from the mountains over Penrith they have to line up 12, kilo, uh, 12 nautical miles from the airport. So they have to go out over the back of Twin Creeks and turn and come in and line up with the airport. There is no other flight paths. So we are going to have 24-hour flights over Penrith and people will suffer from that. Um, 
the takeoff. I still don't see how they're going to handle that quite so easily, but they can take off and then turn very quickly. But landing, they have to come in over that area. So Twin Creeks and Clare, all that area, are going to really cop the noise. Penrith will still cop it, but they'll be a little bit higher. Um, We stopped the airport when my first term as mayor because of the air pollution. We got the little static area where all the pollution sits. Now that is the area where they put the airport. Everything coming to the airport has got to come in on diesel trucks. Okay, they're going to have a train um, train line supposedly for commuters, Mm. but the freight line, I don't know when it's likely to be. Um, The pollution in the south area... um, it's going to be a shocking situation. If you want to buy something, buy it in the north because that's the only clean air left. One thing interesting you brought up there about parking, um, do you think that you're you're considered a frustration at times to council? And I say this because they'll announce something, uh, City Park's a good example, and, and you come along and you're almost the realist of it. You're, you're, well, hang on, we're taking away parking. Is there going to be enough parking? I don't think people are going to come to it because they can't park. Like, Do you think sometimes... As much you know, they they consider here's Kevin going on about this again. Even though I reckon most people would agree with you, most people would say, "Well, hang on, he's right about this." Well, they put in Triangle Park down the bottom of uh, High Street. Um, rarely do you see anybody in there. It's still just like a, a bit of a parking area. We're now going to have the city park, and it's supposedly going to cost twelve million to build. But then you have to factor in the fact that they bought the um, old funeral parlour. They bought all those other buildings that they pulled down. We were getting rent on those. So my view is that it's about $20 million hit to Penrith's finances over a period of time to build that. Um, whether it's going to be used or not... Um, I don't know, I don't believe so, but it would be a good place to have the Christmas tree for the town mm. and for some special items. But whether it's going to get 365 days a year with somebody in there or not, I don't know. What about uh, your area, Land Dialer? Where do you see the future for it? Because it, you, do you feel it's pretty protected from from sort of the overdevelopment moving forward and, and things like that, do you think it will still remain that, I guess, idyllic little place of a uh, little part of Penrith? Well, two years ago, Council and the State Government uh, did a study and basically the areas of Landilo, Londonderry, Berkshire Park will stay as they are for the next 20 years. Um, there's a lot of people not very happy about that because... You know, back in the 1950s, we were told 20 years' time this area will be subdivided and they've uh, banked on that as their retirement. Um, most of those have actually died off now, but there's still people that believe that, yes, we can subdivide out here. I th- Marcus Cornish had the idea that we should have executive housing for um, prominent people who want a one-acre block. And I think that that would probably be a good idea bordering on the Jordan Springs area because we were supposed to have a transition there of one-acre blocks, but now they're down to quarter-acre blocks, yeah. Um, 
So I believe that that would probably be a better idea. Going back to the flooding, the area of um, Cranebrook, Landilo, and out halfway to Londonderry is above the PMF. That's an area where we should have all of our major things where they're out of the flood zone completely. Mm. But that is now sterilised and is going to be rural area for the next 20-odd years. Um, Yeah, so that's just a a little bit of a problem there. I think that we're going to be wasting $20 where we could have... You you can fence off the car park and, and make it a temporary park whenever there's something big on. But to take out that bit of parking, okay, from all of this, we're finally getting another parking station built um, over on the north side there. But we've had parking contributions levied on people for the last 50 years, and um, we haven't done much in the way of providing parking stations for the commuters and and the shoppers. Absolutely, still still an ongoing issue. Last question, how would you like to be remembered? Mm. As the cranky old man that I am. <laughs> as long as you keep uh, you keep getting cranky in the paper, we're uh, we're pretty happy to, <laughs> to to keep being. They're important issues, and and I think you know it's it, people probably don't realise. Um, you know, they think of council as yes, roads rates rubbish, and they, they they sometimes a lot of their dealings with council are for frustration point of views or, or whatever, but. You know, there's people like you out there who are who are trying to do their best to help individuals and and solve issues that um, that otherwise wouldn't be solved. Thank you. There he is, Kevin Cramery, our special guest on On the Record. Don't forget, new episodes of On the Record are released every Monday. Make sure you go to Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. The Western Weekender On the Record podcast is recorded in the studios of My88 in Penrith. New episodes released every Monday. Make sure you check out westernweekender.com.au. We'll see you next time.